Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high-yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. We've, we've talked a lot about the complexity, the terrifying nature. <laughs> now we're going to have to deal with this thing. Um, so, so let's, let's kind of, I guess, spend the, the second half of the show just kind of talking through management. So I, th- I think I know the answer, um, but corn, soybean rotation, do I gain any benefit? I'm going to say no. <laughs> I, I love those good. <laughs> 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 we need, I need to know how to use those buttons better out here. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've seen that, you know, it survives on the debris. We've at least proven one year. I suspect it's longer term than that. In addition to like we're, in, you know, inoculating the field with all these stroma at the end of the season. Um, but if you look at the cycle being in a polycyclic pathogen even if you rotate right correctly here in the Midwest, you know, we're still only doing corn and soybeans and there's a cornfield next door and they're still probably going to get the spores. If they have tar spot, those spores are still going to be moving around. Um, so that's where rotation is very, since we have a short rotation here, we're not adding additional, you know, four year rotations. But I think because we have that secondary spore movement, it doesn't really matter because it's not going to matter what you do in your field because the spores can move from two counties over. Or we could get the Iowa dump on a, in Indiana, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the other way. <laughs> but, you know, the, we have a lot of, you know, Iowa dump. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just if most of our spores probably move through Iowa when we were having those infections in 2018. And so they're there. So if we start an infection early here in Indiana and we have weather systems, we're going to be moving the Could be the around. Indiana so dump. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it'll just, uh, I think that that limits us on some of those cultural practices that we try to use when we look at an integrated management program on rotation, you know, limitations on what tillage would do to bury the inoculum just because Perfect. That was my next it's question. not, you know, yeah. you know, we're, even if we could bury it and, and reduce it enough, it's still going to move in from the neighbors of the next county over. Right. And so, and I've been in fields before we had widespread outbreaks of tar sprot. You know, I were in, was in fields where they had full tillage and they were so soybeans last year and they never had tar spot. Well, they must have had some infection the previous year when they had corn. They just never knew about it because they, they were the epicenter. You could go into that area and see where it just spread from where it was initially found. Um, so tillage, so rotation, I, do nothing. <laughs> well, we can see a little bit on, so there's some work we've been doing on looking at redu- um high residue versus low residue situations. And we can see maybe we reduce the disease progress a little bit, but it's a very little reduction as compared to looking at the other options yeah. that are available. You can't hold off the inevitable yeah. when your neighbor has millions of spores and wind. Bl- yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah, I, the, once the spores go, we got to throw out the Midwest. <laughs> so whatever I do, I'd say every, 
every talk I give, a farmer will ask, like, what about residue management or tillage? Sort of the knee-jerk reaction is, like, I need to get rid of the inoculum. And I, my answer is always, well, if you can convince the entire county <laughs> and in the state to do this, or the entire state to do this, yeah. then, you know, it is sort of a landscape problem. It's not just your field or just that, that part of the just field. Mow so. board, plow the entire Midwest. <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. Let's get back to and that. I, and, I, and I always get a call on the soil health guys if we mentioned plowing under any of our debris to begin with. Right. So you got to think about what are your priorities, but, you know, these two factors may not contribute to managing tar spot as much as other things. So residue management is out or rotation is out. Like what, what about plant population? Can you, can you adjust that and sort of manipulate that well, micro environment? I, and I think some of this is work that Mike, uh, Marty's done looking at the plant population and uh, some research I just saw him present this winter. Um, and I think in that shared slide deck where I think he actually saw the opposite of where we're thinking, you know, a, a higher population, we might increase the relative humidity within that crop canopy, but he actually think, I, I think he saw more disease in the lower population. So I'm going to say, don't change your populations either with for tar spot, right? So that's where we're going to land. As far as we know, at this point in time, we shouldn't be adjusting our populations to manage tar spot. Um, it, the biggest thing is I'm going to, we're going to come to hybrids yet, but I guess you got oh, a yeah. question yep. for me on this. I'm <laughs> no, to, to build on that, um, you know, in, in your research trials, looking at, at, maybe different in incidents and severities within those plots. Have you ever noticed if planting date has any impact on in incidents or severity? Uh, we didn't see it this year. So this was one of our first years looking at planting date. And I'm working with our new agronomist, um, Dan Quinn, on that. So planting date and maturity groups, that's that's the trials we got going on, hopefully, for the next couple of years. Um, I would say it's is, it is, is an escape factor. You know, how when are we going to reach maturity? And when is the disease going to really ramp up at that point in time? And that's going to be what's going to influence yield impacts by the end of the season. So, you so potentially, if you plant earlier and you escape, escape and you have an earlier maturing hybrid, then we've escaped the, the, the end of the season where we know it's going to come out and cause a bigger problem. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned that the, the testing is immature at this point, but certainly anecdotally, you would believe that fuller season hybrids that are stretching that growing season create a higher risk, especially if it's, if it's kind of blowing up the disease to, to try and save its host. Um, or, or protect yes. itself for the following growing season. Okay. So Yes, and I think if we look at it, it's where we have more green tissue at the end, where we still need the green living tissue for it to continue to infect. Yep. Yeah. So so I think, Darcy, I know some of your research, you've, you've actually quantified the, the yield impact of, of tar spot. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, what, you, what you've seen in regards to the relationship between yield loss and incidence and severity? Yeah, so we we worked on this early on, um, and I, I pulled these numbers because I know you're going to ask me. Um, so what we were seeing is <laughs> about, so if we look at the ear leaf is generally where we we evaluate disease management tactics. So how much of that ear leaf was consumed by tar spot? Um, and generally for tar spot, we're looking at the percent of the stroma. So the percent black spots on the leaf. You could also look at the, do you have you reached leaf death with the blighting or the symptoms? But in general, what we were finding it is about for every 1% of that leaf being consumed by stroma, we lost about a half to eight tenths of a bushel Ooh, an acre. Wow. So, and if you extrapolate, you know, here in Indiana, we landed at 20 to 60 bushel per acre is what we were seeing those losses in, in 2018. 
I know I've been in fields in 2022. It was 50% losses going on, but the stroma wow. percent level was probably 25, 30%. So we get to a point where there's no more room <laughs> on that leaf, right? And so our percent severity is going to be 25 to 30, but we lost the leaf. And so when that crop canopy drops, and if we have, you know, for only at dough and we have all the leaves blighted, then we're not going to finish off the crop and we're going to lose the weight that way. So basically you get to a point where it's not just they're flicking black paint onto the leaf. They're just dumping the whole thing on the leaf and it's covered. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> there's only so much area. Yeah. <laughs> Tarred and feathered. <laughs> so, terrifying. <laughs> I was waiting for the terrifying. Yeah. So um, when you look at, obviously corn is a preferred host, but like at this point, with all the inoculum out there, do we have any idea? Does this pathogen get onto other plants or host? From what we know, the Phylochorus genus, each is very species specific. So the Phylochorus matus is really only supposed to be maize specific. And I don't know if anybody's looked beyond that. I know there's some work looking at, we have Phylochorus tar spot on our grass weeds they're, they're, they're grouped in a graminaris, and there's not been a lot of work done on it. But the question is, how closely are they related? But in general, this, as far as we know, is not moving out to other grass species. It's just the, the corn pathogen. So there's no alternate host as far as we know this far. And I, we could change our mind in five or years or whatever. We get more <laughs> research under our belt. But, um, as far as we yeah. So there, and then it's completely different from the tar spots you might see on your maples, which are a completely different genus, just as a side note. Um, there's all different kinds of tar spots out there. So it's impossible to think about tar spot management and not think about fungicide use. So that's that that seems to be uh power farming shows going on in Des Moines today, and and that seems to be kind of the hot topic of conversation, especially with with, uh, you know, supply chain issues and all that kind of stuff. So talk, talk a little bit about, um, control a tar spot with fungicide. Um, at least what we know today. So we've done a lot of uniform trials across the region, looking at fungicide efficacy, and we picked all the products that might be used in corn, uh, maybe some that we don't use, just trying to look at single sites of action. Sure. Um, from that initial work in 2018 and or 19 and 20, you know, most of our fungicides will control tar spot to some degree or another. Um, it just depends on the season. And so when I when I tell my growers generally, um, a one well-timed application is probably going to get you the best return on investment if you have tar spot. Now, if you're gonna if you don't have a tar spot risk, you shouldn't be treating for tar spot. So I can't emphasize that enough. Um, and we just recently, and we're working on this manuscript, but I, I present. Uh, Darren probably has some of those slides um, where we compared a high tar spot situation to a low tar spot situation, and compared the efficacy and return potential on managing it with one one fungicide application. And generally, we saw. In a, in a high situation where we have severe disease, where I normally get it in northern Indiana, let's just say $25 to $30 to $40 return on investment, putting a one well-timed fungicide out there. It just depends on the cost of your fungicide, how that's going to range, and the re, you know you're getting back on your corn. Um, but we saw that it will pay if you have tar spot risk to put a one well-timed fungicide application. Now, the question comes in, 
when, what's the best timing? Yeah. Um, and so we've been trying to do a lot of work with that. And generally, we're still landing. If you have to pick a time, VTR1 will still work. And if you have other diseases to manage, that works really well. If you're worried about gibberella or Don in uh, your ears, you know, you don't want to move from that silking stage. I've seen up to, two, you know, v- R2 works relatively well, but I guess it depends where you are. Maybe it'll be R3 if they plant it earlier on that season to push the fungicide off. So if we look at our fungicides, they're protecting, they have a protection window of, let's just say three to four weeks. So we want to put the window down when we, the pathogens may be getting started, but we slow it down, understanding that once the, the um, fungicides are gone, it will take back off in the, up in that crop canopy. We see that happen, but you still put protected that yield and got the return on investment. Yeah. So can, can I interrupt you? So, so yeah. can, can I ask a question first? Yeah. So VT <laughs> to R four and a half is roughly how long of a period of time? Hmm. Boy, I'd say that's a good question. I don't know, three to four weeks, I'm guessing. Isn't it more than that? Uh, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be probably... Well, I mean, so we were yes, at, yeah, so, it would be. so if we're, if we're typically tasseling early July, right? We're doing a lot of fungicide, like tassel applications early July, um, uh, under normal conditions, whatever that means. And I mean, this year, granted, we were probably two weeks late. So, I, so, I mean, that was all the way into the end of August, even be four early to five September. Weeks, if you figure seven to 10 days yeah, per. Seven to- yeah. Yeah. So I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm just thinking if we only have fungicide control for, let's say, let's say 28 days, if everything was perfect. Well, that doesn't cover the whole grain fill window, right? I mean, we're from, from pollination to when we could effectively let the disease go. We've, we've got to be really intentional about that timing of application because too early, we're going to miss it on the backside. And, and then obviously too late, we've already damaged the bucket. So sorry, that's a tangent. No, I I just, I was just sitting there thinking, if somebody would just create like a 45 day fungicide, we could probably solve the problem. But I, I apologize. No, I, you, I think that's the the number one question I get. It comes down to, okay, we know fungicides work yep. and, and all at some level, but like, gosh, when, when do you put it on? Cause it, I think it's fundamentally going to change how we look at when we spray fungicides. Like you, know, you said, oh, you know, we usually get, start getting the fungicide. It starts ramping up at the beginning of July. Well, yep. if you start looking at when tar spot first shows up and, Secondly, when it really starts to take off, yep, you're you're looking at you know six weeks after ju- the beginning of July, yeah. And so, if we want to try to protect that all that green tissue, sort of on that back end, well, you have to sort of look at your, your fungicide mode of action, or you know, and and sort of what what you're typically doing a little yeah. differently. So, it, it are could, you are you, could, are you thinking you could potentially be saying, hey, I might under low instance of tar spot, I may push to R1, maybe R2, try and buy that that full window. Well, I mean, I know it's anecdotal because we're not sitting in the growing season, but. Right. Well, so then that's why we have all these tools, right? And okay. we're working on how to predict and better manage it. So if we look at, and you have a question, you had a question on two applications, right? Yeah. And so in all our work, last year might've been the year that paid off with a double application and getting that return for that second application. And I have growers that think about they did get the return for two applications, even this season where they were in an area with a high risk and the disease was there. So if you look at that, you know, it's, it's the, so the tools we have, so we have those maps we didn't talk about that we're tracking the disease. 
So if we find that the disease has started and, and it's July 3rd, which is like what happened in 2022, we know it's two weeks earlier than we normally had seen it. If it doesn't come in now to like September, then we should have held on to those products. So this is where we can't have just a one size fits all control tactic for tar spot. If you have to do it that way, here's where I would land, but we may need to be able to flex a little bit. And I know there's an ideal situation and what we have to deal with on the farm with getting airplanes or equipment. But in the ideal situation, you know, last year, probably going at a late vegetative, getting that protection where it started early. And then, well, this is 2021. When it started early, we got that late vegetative. So we got ahead of the disease, but then we're going to be short on the other end. So a, sec, a th three week later application or a four week later application continue to protect that crop canopy to get us black layer. Oh. Can, um, can you talk, can you talk a little bit, Darcy, about mode of action within that? Because I've heard all sorts of different theories on, do you, do you run uh, a fully stacked three mode both times? Do you, do you lead with a single? Do you follow with a single? Um, knowing, knowing we might shuffle that window, um, can we get away with, I guess, talk mode of action efficacy and and risk of using single products, stacking products, that sort of thing. I know that's broad, but. Right. So uh, some of the work we did early on with the efficacy look, we looked at that com comparing single versus two modes of action versus three modes of action um, in that data sets. And that's across regions where we had severe disease and, and low amounts of disease as well. We could see we continually got a good re um, yield boost from the three modes of action product with the two modes not being significantly different. And so where we landed is I would pick a two or three mode of action product. If you're protecting against tar spot, that's where you should lead. Um, as for a single mode of action, we can still see we get control. But again, I with resistance management and other things, I don't think we want to be pushing them as well. But I would start up front with slowing the disease down with two or three modes of action, one of those big heavy hitter products, and then follow if you got to come back in with something cheaper on the other end. Um, we're still looking at that. So that was one of the trials we had out this year with very little disease, where we went and we flip-flopped it and said if we started with a generic first and then came in with a heavy hitter, which is the question. And so we landed and that data, because the disease started up so late, it just showed us that that second application was what was needed. Not that the, we missed yep. the window with the VTR1 because the disease started earlier or later this year. So again, that just showed us where, you know, depending on when the disease starts, where our fungicides need to be protecting. Now I've been in fields where they went in too late. And we still haven't defined an exact threshold, but if you got 5% tar spot in that ear leaf, I'm going to say it's game over on, you're not going to slow it down. It's in there and it's got access and we can't slow it down. So you might as well just hold on to it. Oh. And that's where I kind of <laughs> land on that. So that's a, that's a perfect leeway into my, my question. It kind of ties <laughs> in, you know, I remember in school learning about, you know, diseases that produce a lot of spores and then naturally occurring genetic mutations, you know, that, that happen, which lead to resistance, right? And, and, and if you make that that fungicide application, selection pressure put on those genetic mutations, you know that that's what eventually leads to resistance potentially. So if you have a, if you have a grower in a situation where you know they're already at that five percent disease severity, do you think they should still go in and make that fungicide application, or do you think they're you're better off not not only just because of control and efficacy, but also potential resistance concern, concerns? Should they just leave leave the fungicide that year, or, or should they still make it, and will they still see control? I, I don't know. <laughs> I would say I would not, you know, if we got an infection in that top of the canopy, we're not really going to slow it down. Um, so then we're, we are selecting for things that can continue to 
you know, develop um, monitoring for fungicide resistance is going to be a big problem again, because we can't culture it and do all the normal stuff we do for isolating individuals to determine if we develop resistance. Um, but we do need to think about rotating products and try to manage that at best and be stewards of the fungicides and not overusing them when they're not needed. Um, and a clarifying, but, yeah. a clarifying point there is when you talk 5% severity, you're talking ear leaf and above, right? Not... Yes, not, not below. I'm, and it, so that's going to so be if, an important distinction. Yeah. So if you see it in, if you got a severe infection in the ear leaf and you hadn't jumped out of the truck to look, I think you're really not going to get ahead of it at that point. The idea is to get out and scout. You know, we have time from when we see that, if for particularly those fields that have a history, you have time to find those first lesions to make an informed decision. You have those maps that we use. So you can see that, yes, Indiana just turned on those northern counties, or maybe Iowa found it, that, yes, it's active. So that means get out and look, get out and scout for the disease. And then you also have the Tar Spotter app, which we haven't touched on yet which is pulling in the weather data. And we keep, we're, on, we're going to be on version four this year. It's pulling in more relative humidity, period, um, for making the disease take off in the canopy. So the question is, can we, you know, have others seen it? Is it active in the canopy? Do we have the conducive conditions? Make those, use those to inform whether, yes, we want to pull the trigger on a fungicide. To, to build on, to build on, you know, the, the whole fungicide efficacy talk, you know, we were kind of going to lead into hybrid susceptibility, but but I'm curious if you guys have looked at, um, you know, looking at, obviously there's a fitness cost with any resistance, any plant that has resistance to a disease, right? And and I'm just picturing the amount of spores that would land on a leaf with, with tar spots specifically, you know, that there's potentially hundreds of, th you know, just a lot of spores. Have you looked at the the impact of, of a fungicide or just hybrid susceptibility in general and, and how much control you get with that. And then also matching up a fungicide on a resistant, or I shouldn't say resistant because there's really no true resistance right now, but a, a less susceptible hybrid and, and matching that up to see what the, the impact is in, in combination. Yes. And so while we just finished up some work where we identified what we call the susceptible and too tolerant, maybe lines that were hybrids that we selected that we had looked at back in 18. Um, and so what we ran is we ran this susceptible versus the two tolerant lines. And you can definitely see a difference between susceptible and tolerant. And so even under a low risk year, I still significantly could see differences in my severity from the susceptible versus the tolerant. So that's first thing. If we can build in resistance to our hybrids, then we reduce that initial risk. Um, and then we did layer in the fungicide on that, yes or no, with a fungicide application. And so we definitely will see that, yes, with a fungicide unsusceptible, we can reduce disease and we can protect yield. On the tolerant side of things, we can sometimes, depending on the severity of the disease and what that tolerant package has, we may or may not see that significant change in disease severity and between treating and not treating a tolerant. And so then that's going to push how whether we see a yield benefit within that tolerant line. Overall, we did see that, yes, a fungicide, if we, we grouped all that data from those last three years, a fungicide did it have a yield benefit putting it out there in a severe tar spot area. Um, with the resulting yields, though, on the, on the tolerant lines as compared to the susceptible, there's still some high variability. So you still might be getting, you might have a high yielding susceptible line that's still going to out yield that tolerant line in a field, especially if you have low disease pressure year, but even under some higher disease pressure years. So that's what I, I keep trying to push the industry. We, we need to start building more disease tolerance to tar spot into our high yielding hybrids. 
That's a long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> that's good. Good no, answer. I, I, well, but that's that's what we need to know, as, certainly as growers and and as advisors. Um, a, a question, I guess, to kind of maybe wrap the conversation around fungicide, because it's one that I feel like I get asked often. What are the odds? And I know that's almost impossible, but what are the odds that we have? the need for an application of V10, V12, something like that. I mean, if if environmental conditions where we were seeing significant disease incidents that early in the growing season, what what are the odds that type of environment happens in, in most of the Corn Belt? I can speak for Indiana. It's relatively okay. low. I mean, so if I look at the state, if I look at my state, only a third of my state is the highest area where I have risk. The other two thirds of the state need to be aware of the disease, but they're not hitting, getting the yield impacts. So I guess the first thing is, where are you? Are you in a field that's been hit hard with tar spot, first of all? And then if I look at where the two application programs worked, it's probably been one out of the last five years, right? So 20% chance that you might need it. But yeah. then last year, like this year, we didn't need it at all. So one out of five years, maybe we don't even need to spray for tar spot because we had the raw, the, the environmental conditions were not favorable for the disease. Um, so then, you know, I would rather just, you know, one well time, just being a steward of our fungicides as well, a one well time fungicide is going to get you better return than I think thinking about putting out a couple applications. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tricky, right? Because you've got all these complexities with the supply chain and product availability and, and application availability. And then, and then, right, it's opportunistic marketers want to market to, the the potential right so that so we mm -hmm. create a bullwhip effect where we're you know we're we're fearful about what might be even if that's only a five or ten percent chance or whatever um, so it's I I guess it's reassuring to me that in the time you've been observing it it's not there's not a high likelihood that that's a year over year thing that we need to be prepared for so well and I'll I'll double down on that I think in Iowa I I would agree there's v early early tasseling or or, or those type timings of applications are probably not really going to ever target a, a tar spot epidemic or a, you know the disease. And the good thing about tar spot, you said this, you know, we, we used the word terrifying eight times now, <laughs> um, but it, it does line up pretty nicely with when gray leaf spot shows up, yep. which is the other major disease. And that, that usually starts to take off a little bit later in the season as well. And so, um, you know, that is, I, for me, it's more evidence as to if you can, push that application just a little bit later instead of instead of really getting and trying to get out there and you know because we, we you see the planes start flying and you know end of june or you yep. know you know june 20th and i think those are the ones that are going to be hurting yep and, yep. and so i think like those are the people who need to just shift it you know and try to push it back a little bit and obviously logistics are going to be a huge thing right you know like not everyone's going to be able to have, have access to that plane no. At the ideal timing. So, you know, yeah, we all have to when, think about that. When you all were, were talking about, you know, is R1 still the, the best timing for a fungicide? It got me thinking about all the time that you and Darren and Allison and Marty and, and Damon have spent showing the best return on, the best timing for your return on investment, right? It's been tassel R1. Well, I'm wondering if we, this one disease could make that, if we were to continue this data over the next five years, if it could show R2 being yeah. the most effective, right? So maybe focus less yeah. on that tassel, uh, you know, timing and, and let mother nature dictate because we know tar spot generally moves in later, right? We know we have about right. a 21 to 28, maybe 30 day residual. Maybe if we were to continue this research, it might be R2 might be the best return on investment because of tar spot moving in and, and being new. Yeah, especially when you consider 
maturity selections, I mean, it seems like the whole industry is is selecting for fuller season yeah. maturities, and so that that green plant tissue is lasting significantly longer than it than it was even five and ten years ago. So, nope. all right. So we, we earlier you mentioned the shoe test, Andrew, um, and Darcy. You mentioned tar spotter. So, like, sort of bring bring all of that together into what's the role of weather and like and what resources? What would you look at? weather-wise as far as making helping with the timing of fungicide decisions so again it's watching that that leaf wetness whatever's contributing to leaf wetness and so i know with our tar spotter app we're pulling in relative humidity now maybe some temperature on when is that the weather been conducive for the disease so you monitor that and then i'd also pull in where are you on the growth stage of the crop and then utilize where's has anybody found it yet, right? And that's why this one disease is not, you got to get out and look for it. But we do have time and most of our work that's looked at that first detection trigger spray still gets good, good protection. So you have time if you're scouting to find it um, and then use that whether you've had the weather conditions. So again, I think if we have, it's, it's going to be that whatever weather happens in June and July is going to dictate when this disease starts in the canopy and we got to monitor that. And we we're working on trying to develop tools like spore traps and other things that help can help hone our predictive modeling uh, tools that we're putting together. Um, so we we've captured spores and we can see where those spore flights occur and, and they are, they're happening, you know, and if I think, I think some of that work we were showing, you know, 20 days before we first see the disease was what happened this last season. And when we saw a spore flight that we captured. So we're going to pull that in, hopefully down the line and we'll have better tools maybe five years from now where we can use spore trapping and weather prediction to give us an idea of, yes, we got spores released. We got the pathogen there. The crop is at the right growth stage. Now the environmental conditions are there. Now we got to plan ahead to trigger to protect the crop canopy. Uh, tell our listeners how to access tar spotter. Okay, so I think if you search Tar Spotter, it might come up. It's both it's available both for both Android and iPhones. So that one's a free app. There's also another uh, what is it called, Darren? Field um, Profit. Field Profit that's available for a cost on i iPhones or iPads. That's doing a little more projection. But the Tar Spotter app is available. You can input all your fields and monitor that, and you can it'll give you a threshold. Yes, the conditions have been conducive for the disease, but that also needs you know. You need to know you had a field with a history of the disease, and then you know then you can use the app to try to figure out are the conditions conducive where I'm at the growth stage where I might want to put a spray out. So that's available, and then we have um, the maps are available. If you went to my extension website, they're probably there. I don't know if they're embedded in Crop Protection Network or not, um, but if you search Tar Spot Map, it's probably going to come up as well. Um, where we're tracking the disease. So each season, if you go into it now, it's going to show all the counties gray where we found the disease. And then as we move into June and July, if we get samples where I have a positive identification, then we'll turn a county yellow or whatever color, red or whatever color it changes. Um, it changes depending on where it's posted. Um, but also use that as a way to, you know, yes, we're finding the disease. Now we got to get out and scout. Can we find it on our farm? Am I in an area where I had ris risk? And then make that decision. So you got the apps and maps. And then also for efficacy information, the Crop Protection Network has our corn fungicide efficacy trial tables. The new one's coming out probably in the next month or so. Um, I don't think we've changed much from previous years. So that'll give a list of products where we've evaluated and, and rated them comparison, you know, comparing the, their efficacies. Darcy, this has been awesome. Uh, so just 
<laughs> just a couple, hopefully <laughs> brief questions. Uh, I know we're putting you through the ringer here. Um, yeah. As you think about Tarspot and the and the research you and and your network is doing, I guess maybe give me the the one or two um, horizons. The 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 next big question you're hoping to have answered. What what can we look forward to as as far as that goes? Well, I think we're hoping to have better information on, you know, planting dates and hybrid maturities and forecasting and spore capture. All that hopefully will feed into where we can get better predictive models. It can, you know, it's we can every year we add more data to that. Um I don't know where we're going to end up next. Hopefully we get some more hybrids coming out. I know there's a couple of new genes that may have been identified um, by some of our breeders up in Mich Michigan and uh, Illinois too as well. So there may be some new genes that they can utilize to get into our breeding programs. Still, that takes a little time, um, but hopefully, you know, ideally if we could breed this out and have good resistance and we wouldn't have to worry so much about the fungicides. But right now we try to utilize the tools we have at hand to try to manage it. Hmm. Well, I I think I this is like I I love this question, but it, <laughs> oh, no. so it's been my new favorite one I've added. Right. Well, and and I think that you know we were touching on this a little bit is like you know there there might be a little bit of a fear of of being considered a leader in in anything, but like in in your career, have you ever been part of something where it it is like changing the way things are done, or like you know where where you can you're watching your research making an impact on the farming community or like, or whatever it is. And can you walk, walk us through, like, like how, how does that make you feel like? Makes me feel nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. This is probably one of the bigger ones. That's where am I, what we're doing is having a, a significant impact and we can actually quantify it just by bushels per acre that, you know, we may be protecting. Um, I was, I've been a part of some other, uh, disease things back in the past, working on peanuts and stuff. And that, uh, it didn't go anywhere, but we were excited about the oxalate <laughs> oxidase gene for white mold controls, Darren oh, yeah. and peanuts. And we yeah. had transgenic peanut lines, but back 10 years ago, they just didn't go anywhere with the USDA on getting through all the regulations. Um, but anyhow, I think, I mean, this has been exciting. It's, it's definitely propelled my career trying to work on this new disease and, and try to have, you know, an impact. And I guess what drives my every day is having impact on, on the growers and the farmers in, in Indiana and across the region. I mean, that's what keeps us going at our job, I think, Darren, is is being able to help answer some unknown questions. And I still have growers in Indiana that don't know what tar spot is. They keep, you know, wow. they, they've discovered <laughs> there's something, something took out my corn and then the realization if they hear a talk, wait, was that it that was on my farm kind of thing? So, hmm. I mean, we started from ground zero. No one knew about it. And we had to get the word out on how to identify it. And then how do we manage it? Yeah. Well, that's an awesome question and an awesome answer. It's it's always uh, it's always kind of humbling. I, I joke with Andrew. I I keep moving down the totem pole and the people in the room for this podcast. I think eventually I'm going to get kicked out and have to sit <laughs> in the other room. But um, same way we started the show, just greatly appreciate the work, um, Darcy, that you're doing, and and Darren, and and the whole Crop Protection Network, and and the network of people working on this. Um, Darcy, we finish our show uh, with a segment that we called "Cashing in Our Penny." Um, it's Andrew's job to kind of provide our listeners with a couple uh, succinct takeaways. And I always ask that our co-host and our, our featured guests be really critical of his answers. So, um, Andrew, I'd like to cash my penny in. 
Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that, that stood out today was was just something for for growers and, and you know people making recommendations to to keep in the back of their mind how important it is to manage this disease. You know, you mentioned you've, you've done some work to give some validation to the amount of yield loss that we've we've seen with tar spot. You mentioned on on the ear leaf if you have one percent infection with tar spot, one percent stroma, right? You can lose a, a half to eight tenth of a bushel. So you know you extrapolate and, and do the math. It's it's you know it's not one no no wonder why we see anywhere from a, a twenty to you know I've seen a hundred bushel loss in Illinois. So just just keep an eye out, do your scouting, um, be diligent. Um, another one, you know, one, once we see, you know, we know there's uh, you know ideal conditions for tar spot. It's about a fourteen to twenty one day be, between when we see infection and, and when we start seeing symptom symptomology. So knowing how fast this this disease can can you know. Infect a plant and then and then become a serious problem within a field. It just validates how important it is to get out there with that fungicide if if you suspect those conditions are ideal. So, uh, Darren, I'd be curious. You know, usually I do three to four, but I'd be I'd love to hear your your key takeaways and anything that would you know benefit growers. Well, I think for me, sort of Darcy uh, framing in the terrifying component of it. And, and like, for, like, you know, the, the first questions we had about management, she's like, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, like, and that, that, that sort of doubles down on the importance of understanding it, but not, not necessarily being afraid of it, yep. but like just respecting the disease and like knowing, and then like, and it's like thinking through like, when is it going to show up? And okay, now I need to figure out what my management, in-season management. Thankfully, we have in-season management options. That's the good news. Yeah. But a lot of the things that we can do ahead of time to reduce that risk, it you know they don't really work. And so now it's, it sort of falls back on that, that whole leaf wetness component of it. And that's going to make farmers sort of think differently about, I was sort of joking with Sean about, you know, like, you know, going out and golfing and getting his feet wet. But like, Suddenly, that's like a really important piece of information yep. that that's going to affect his farming. And I'm trying to get people to think about, hey, like like something that's as mundane as getting your feet wet actually will it could impact, yeah. you know, some a, a a big decision, you know, at, at some point in that season. And just trying to get people to to think that way. Is, yep. So, yep. Yeah, like we, there's there's no easy button for this. It's going to take a lot of a lot of boots on the ground, and 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 one thing we've talked a lot about is just having a deployable plan in place now, right? Because I mean, it's 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 going to present itself at some point. We just have to be ready to deploy that action. So, Darcy, anything you would add to our our uh, our cashing in of the penny? Right, I think we made it a little terrifying cashing in, but. Um, <laughs> I would say the first thing is just to understand what's going on on your farm, right? Be aware, is the disease already there or is it on your neighbor's farm? So be aware of what's going on and then just be ready for it and don't be caught off guard, I guess, would be my thing is understand what's what's changing. And, you know, there are areas, if you look at the map where we've had it a long time, those are the higher risk areas. It is continuing to move through the U.S. Um, so, it, But just be aware and be watching for the disease. And I, we have all these uh, wonderful colleagues spread across the region that are, well, are helping try to identify what we need to do and, and utilize them. Use your disease clinics. If you've got questions on what you, whether it's tar spot or not, you know, send the sample in and, and we'll definitely try to help um, identify what the problem is. It could be a new problem too. I don't want to bring that up, but um, <laughs> not like late season corn decline that we're seeing down yeah, in Texas yeah, now, right? right. Fo focus, we won't talk about focus, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and but, you we know, have another podcast. 
Yeah, well, I said there are resources available and just reach out, especially, you know, we have a lot of resources at universities available to help identify what's going on. And, and you know, tr we're trying to develop material that could be utilized to make informed decisions. Well, Darcy, uh, thank you so much for the work you've done, uh, for the time to join us today. Darren, thanks for being a co-host. Yeah, it was fun. Um, when we talk about be aware of what's going on, obviously, you guys are doing a, a great deal to help educate us and, and our listeners. Um, so just couldn't couldn't possibly say thank you enough. Andrew, what a great episode today. It's, uh, it's great to cover um, what is certain to be uh, still one of the hot topics in corn production. Uh, but as we get ready to close the show today, tell our listeners about who they can expect. Well, don't tell them, tease them. <laughs> tease them. <laughs> who can they expect for our yeah. next episode? Yep. So we are going to have our first guest on for the second time, uh, back by popular demand, I would say, uh, from the University of Wisconsin. And they're phenomenal agronomists up there. We're going to pick his brain on uh, his uh, big data research on soybeans and then pick his brain more on just soybean management. Yeah, that's kind of a dead giveaway, but we'll see, <laughs> yeah. we'll see who gets it. Uh, Darcy, thank you. Darren, thank you. Andrew, thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com, or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.